I call your attention now to the reading of God's holy word for our sermon this morning. This will be one of the texts that we'll refer to in this morning's sermon. As we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll just read verses 8 through 11. This is the word of the living God, as he gave to the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Thessalonica. So as it was inspired by God, we have the infallible word of God recorded by the Apostle Paul. And so here we read now 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 8 through 11. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's uh, briefly pray. Lord, we do ask that you would be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of your word this day as we come to hear many scriptures this morning and several scripture references about our duty to encourage one another. We pray that you would help us do so, especially as we prepare for the Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, lately at those times uh, when we've been preparing for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper the following week. I've I've been preaching on topics that are covered in the Reformed Presbyterian Covenant of Communicant Membership. And in this case, the observance of the Lord's Supper is actually scheduled for two weeks from today. Uh, But I've agreed to swap pulpits uh, with Robert Kelby of Manhattan uh, following our uh, Presbytery meeting this coming week. And so, uh, so I'll preach this preparatory sermon today. Now, last time we dealt with the first part of Val 4 of the Covenant of Communicant Membership. And the whole query reads there, Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the teaching and government of this church as being based upon the Scriptures and described in substance in the Constitution of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America? Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church? And do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? In case you should need correction in doctrine or life, do you promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church? So uh, last time uh, we dealt with the question of submission to the church government, and specifically with the matter of the biblical form of church government. Uh, So today I want us to consider the second part of that query, uh, this covenant promise that those of us who joined a Reformed Presbyterian church have made. Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church, and do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? All Christians, of course, have a responsibility to work with other Christians. This isn't something that's particular to Reformed Presbyterians. And especially to work with those in our own congregation, and to encourage them in their service to the Lord. So these are things that all Christians can benefit from hearing. So this morning I'm going 
to point to some scriptures which tell us to labor together. And then I'll point to some scriptures about encouraging one another. And then we'll also look at some scriptures that tell us something of how we can do those things, how we can labor together and encourage one another in the church. And for each of these points, I'm sure you could find more scriptural proofs. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a representative list, if you will. So first, let's consider our responsibility to work with others in the church. In Matthew 28, Jesus addresses his disciples collectively. This is one of those providences that I might mention in this evening's sermon that I didn't plan that that uh, would be in our Sabbath school lesson. It just happens that that's where we got to uh, this morning. And yet here we were talking about the Great Commission this morning in Sabbath school. And here this, this morning and for this sermon, I'm also referring to this. In verse 19 in particular of Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells them all, collectively, the imperative, the instruction, go therefore, because he has authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, right? because he has authority of all the authority in heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The Great Commission is for all the church. It's a collective instruction to the whole church. Well, of course, if we're going to carry it out then, that means we have to carry it out together. We have to work together. Not everybody is going to be doing the same particular labor, but we all have to carry it out together. So we have to work together to accomplish the Great Commission. Galatians 6.10 Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Notice that the first person plural is used there. Paul is not just instructing you individually. Uh, He's instructing all of us together, we and us, he says there. We have a responsibility to work with and for the household of faith. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compares the church to an organism, to a a living body. And each believer is like a member, like an organ, like a body part of that one living body. In Romans 12, verses 4 to 6, the apostle writes, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. You want the various parts of your body to be working together, to be using its particular gifts that it's been made for so that the rest of the body will be healthy. Terrible things happen when parts of your body begin to work against the others. Particularly think of the horrible diseases that happen when somebody's immune system, for example, attacks healthy parts of their body. Like parts of a healthy body, We each have a duty to work with the other parts of this one body of which Christ is the head. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul reminds us that like the different parts of a healthy body, we actually need each other. And so that implies, of course, that we have to work together. We each need all the other parts to be working together healthily. If we're going to have a healthy congregation, if the church worldwide is going to be healthy, then Christians need to be using their gifts 
for one another's benefit. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 22 says, For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So just because you may not be a deacon or an elder or something doesn't mean you're not of the body of the church. Just because you might not have particular gifts that somebody sitting next to you in the pew has doesn't mean that you're not also equally a part of the same body. He says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Of course, we need each other with different gifts, right? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So just as we can't say, I'm not really part of the body because I don't have the same gifts as someone else, nor can any one of us say, well, look at how gifted I am. I don't need the rest of you. (laughs) The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. When Jude, the brother of Jesus, begins his letter, he exhorts all Christians to contend earnestly, that is, to fight hard, to labor together for the purity of the church's message. Jude verse 3, it's a one chapter book. So Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent or very desirous, we could read that as, to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly, so exhorting you, plural, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So the the you there is that's plural. He wants us all to contend earnestly for that faith which was once for all delivered to the saints which also tells us there's only one gospel, not many. There's one Christianity, not many Christianities, and and we are to be laboring for that pure one, not any false version. The Christians are commanded to work with others in the church to do that. So we see from these scriptures that there are many explicit and implicit commands in scripture that we work with others in the church Secondly, consider our responsibility to support and encourage one another in our service to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. The word translated there as comfort uh, can also be translated as encourage. It literally means to come alongside. It's the verb form of that term paraclete, comforter, sometimes translated as, uh, that Jesus uses to describe both himself and the Holy Spirit when he says he would send another comforter, another literally alongside comer. Paul tells us here to come alongside one another. And along with that, he also says that we should edify one another, build each other up. Both of those verbs connect to the concept of encouragement. Isaiah 41, verse 6, actually predicts everyone helped his neighbor 
and said to his brother, be of good courage. That's literally encouragement, right? Helping each other be of good courage. And that verse actually comes in the context of a prediction about the Gentiles coming to worship the Lord. That's something being fulfilled now in the gospel age. What the Gentiles uh, see that actually makes them encourage one another in that verse is the fact that Yahweh is the first and the last. And thus they will come and encourage one another. So he is the creator, he's the sustainer, uh, he's uh, the savior of his people. We're in the midst of the fulfillment of that as the Gentiles continue to come to the God of Israel. Uh, Jesus Christ is the first and the last. Which again, by the way, is the fact that the New Testament claims Jesus is the first and the last. We read there in Isaiah that the Lord is the first and the last. Tells us, of course, that Jesus is none other than Yahweh. But we are to encourage one another. We're in an age. Certainly we should encourage one another as that passage predicts because we're in the age where that passage is being fulfilled. Hebrews 10.24 tells us, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's another way of saying we are to support and encourage one another in our service to the Lord. Consider one another, have concern for one another in order to stir up love amidst each other and good works. Therefore, we know that we should work together and encourage one another. So third, let's consider how we might do these things. And again, this is definitely not an exhaustive list. Well, the verse we just read is a good starting point, though. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Have concern for one another. That word translated consider really means that. Have concern for one another. Think about one another. Have a genuine concern for each other. In John 15, 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How are we going to love one another? We have to have concern for one another, a self-sacrificial love toward one another. That's a good way to be supporting and encouraging one another. B, remember God's promises and remind one another of them. That's a great way to stir each other up to good works, to encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes to the brethren at Thessalonica about the coming return of Christ. Some of them have had, they've heard a, a false teaching that basically says they missed the second coming of Christ. And he says in that passage, well, you actually won't be able to miss it. Don't worry about that. And others were, were wondering, well, what about those who've fallen asleep? What about those who have died? Will they miss it? And he says, no, they won't miss it either. All believers who have died will rise from the dead to a glorified life. And together with believers who are still alive at that time, they will meet Jesus and dwell with him in glory forever. And Paul concludes that passage after telling the believers at Thessalonica about that with this command in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, so because of the things I just told you about the return of Christ, comfort one another 
with these words. They're thinking on what Christ has promised to do, and they're comforting one another with those words. Similarly, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10, we read earlier, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, so whether we've died or we're still alive, right? And notice, by the way, the in the New Testament, consistently, when a believer dies, it's called sleep, because just as surely as you, in fact, more surely, than you can reasonably expect if you go to bed tonight that you'll get up in the morning, you know that if you die, you will rise again if you're in Christ. Indeed, all the dead will be raised to be judged at the last day, but those who are in Christ will rise to everlasting life. And so he says, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. What a great comfort. We can encourage one another by remembering God's promises like that. Therefore, he says in verse 11, comfort, encourage each other and edify one another. Because you know what Christ has promised and you know that Christ will always keep his promises, you can encourage one another with those words. See, we, we can more generally build one another up in knowledge of God's word. We have particular promises like the return of Christ, but also more general knowledge of God's word. And especially we're told in the New Testament that we can do that. We can encourage one another with God's word, build one another up in God's word by the singing of psalms together. Ephesians 5.18 and 19, Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, we don't have time today to dig into the fact that these scriptures are actually telling us to sing the biblical psalms exclusively. That's a whole sermon by itself. But suffice to say, for now, that that you'll notice that it's the word of Christ that is to dwell in us while we're singing to one another. By means of what we sing, it's the word of Christ dwelling in us, not the words or ideas of mere men, but Christ's words. And the terms psalms, hymns, and songs are actually uh, terms that are the same Greek words that were used in the the Septuagint, which was the, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek that was, that was used by the early church, that was widely spread, that believers had access to, all of those terms are used to describe the Psalms in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. In other words, if you had been a Christian in Ephesus or Colossae when Paul wrote those letters and you received them, and these were publicly read, you would not have thought that Paul was saying, oh, we should sing the Psalms and then also write some other songs to sing. You would have thought, oh, Paul is telling us to sing the Old Testament Psalms. The 150 Psalms in the Bible. Indeed, the fact that he adds the word spiritual there, to spiritual songs, or many argue that it's actually meant to modify all three words, psalms and hymns and songs, uh, That tells us that these need to be songs that came from the Holy Spirit, inspired scripture. That was the universal understanding of the early church fathers and the understanding of most of the Protestant reformers as well. 
But we can certainly support and encourage one another by the singing of the Lord's Psalms together. Because we're helping to encourage one another by uh, building each other up in the knowledge of God's Word. D, let others see your faith worked outwardly. That's a great way to encourage and support and aid in labor of your fellow Christians. Romans 1 verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, For I long to see you, so, so they want to be seen by each other, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, of course, he's writing about that faith, but he wants to be there in person so that they can see his faith outwardly worked and he can see theirs outwardly worked, and that would encourage him and them. Paul wants for the Roman Christians and himself to see each other, to see each other's faith and be encouraged by it. As he says in Philippians 2.12, that faith needs to be outwardly worked. Otherwise, nobody else can see it, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And as James says in James 2.18, show me your faith without works. The way he words that, he's saying you can't actually do it. He says, and I will show you my faith by my works. Works do not save. We are saved by God's grace working through faith alone, but it is not a faith that is alone. It's a faith that does produce works of obedience to God. So we can encourage one another. We can help each other in our labors in the church by letting our faith be outwardly seen in the works that we do. E, be kind to one another. Great way to encourage each other. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So be kind. Learn to be kind to one another. Very simple. Nothing too complex to learning to be kind. Just make sure that your kindness is built on love as God defines it and not as the world defines it. Look to 1 Corinthians 13 to see how God defines love. And one of the things that he says, by the way, that's opposite to what the world teaches us now is that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. But be kind to one another. F, forgive one another. That's in that same verse at the end of Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Christ has forgiven so much in me. How could I not forgive one little offense that you might commit against me? We forgive each other. That's a great way to encourage one another. If I see you forgiving me and you see me forgiving you when it's necessary, then we can see that that flows out from the kind of forgiveness that we've all received from God. And what an encouragement that is. G, be humble toward each other. Romans 12, 16, do not... Set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble or with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It's being humble with each other. Oh, how much we can learn from each other. As Proverbs tells us, we can be iron sharpening iron when we come together and we're studying the the Lord's Word together especially. But just recognizing how much we can learn from each other, being humble toward one another. H, assemble together for worship. I don't have to tell 
those of you here to do that, you've done it this morning, right? But how important it is to assemble for worship. What an encouragement it is as we come together with like-minded brethren, with, with others of like precious faith, and worship God together. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. So the closer we get to the return of Christ, we don't know when that is, but the closer we get to it, how much more important it becomes that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love. So notice that there's a, a familial love. There's a devotion there. In honor, giving preference to the other. So it's not just coming together for worship only, but you know, socializing together. Being affectionate to one another. Giving preference to one another. It's being devoted. Seeking what is good for the honor of the other. Having a deep affection each for the other. Now, each of us has a responsibility to work with others in the church. Christ has commanded it. We're not lone wolves, we're sheep, right? And so none of us has the right simply to say it's just me and Jesus. Jesus doesn't allow that. You can no more fulfill your Christian duty by yourself than your liver can survive on its own outside of your body. As a Christian, you have a special responsibility toward the household of faith. Use your individual gifts for the well-being of the whole church. And especially labor together with others for the one faith, as Jude told us, which was once delivered to the saints. We also are each commanded to support and encourage one another in our service to the Lord. Come alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them. Build them up. Some ways you can work together and support and encourage each other include those exhortations we just went through. You know, have concern for one another. Love one another as Christ loves his church, which is self-sacrificially, right? He gave himself for the church. Remember God's promises and Remind each other of them. That's another great way to encourage each other. Especially the promise of Christ's return. You know, whatever difficulties your brother or sister in Christ is going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, you know that Christ has promised that the worst thing this world can do is kill your body, but the Lord will raise it up again at the last day. The promise of Christ's return is such an encouragement. That coming day of the resurrection of the dead, when all who are in Christ will remain in glory forever. What an encouragement. It's the ultimate thing for which we all eagerly wait. We'll build one another up in knowledge of God's word also, especially by the singing of psalms, as we, we've been commanded. Work for faith outwardly. Work your faith outwardly, I should say. Tongue-tied there. Work your faith outwardly so that your brothers and sisters can see it. Jesus says when we do that, when others see our good works, they'll glorify our Father in heaven. 
So work your faith outwardly. What an encouragement that is. As we'll see coming up in, in some weeks, we'll see that Paul actually says that a good way we can imitate Christ is by seeing the good works of godly servants of Christ. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So look to godly service, servants of Christ. If you are somebody who can outwardly work your faith, others can see that and be encouraged also to imitate Christ. What a support and encouragement to see the fruits of repentance and faith in the life of another. It encourages every believer who sees that to be more conformed to the perfect, righteous image of Christ. Show your faith by your works. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Be humble toward each other. Remember all the things you have to learn from each other. Assemble together for public worship. And be devoted to each other with all affection. After all, we're not only a body as we spend some time considering the image that the New Testament gives us of of the church being a body. But we're not only one body in Christ. Another image the New Testament gives us of the church is of a family, of a household. We are one family in Christ. Well, these are some ways that you can work with other Christians and show your support and encourage them. So I now encourage you to do the same. Well, let's pray. Lord, grant that we might fulfill our duty to work together in your church. Bless us with the mutual support and encouragement that we might be your instruments for the building up of the church, for the advancement of your kingdom in this world. And we thank you that we do not have to do this in our own strength, but that Christ has promised to build his church. And so we pray that you would help us more and more to depend on your strength and that by the Holy Spirit we might accomplish all these things and thereby labor together and support and encourage one another in our Christian lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.